Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Stop talking to me like I'm your baby Jesus. The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 213, the season two ending, a.k.a. Playland, is sponsored by stool sample collection kit just give it to us already wow well <laughs> from that lowest of lows pete here we are at the end of the season still more jessica jones podcast ahead of us after this episode we'll be doing a season one recap pete do my eyes see the calendar correctly that we're going to release the season two wrap at the one month mark of when it came out uh not even uh a, a month matt less than a month uh quickest fantastic geek has ever gotten through a marvel netflix netflix binge property well certainly the proof is in the pudding for the uh the format change that we've done so without further ado pete it's time for some surveillance let's see what the episode was all about Jessica Jones awakens in the stolen camper, with her mother refusing to pay for her crimes by going to the raft. She calls Jessica her cure and says they're a team now. A kindly man drives on by in his Prius, but he's told that these ladies don't need help, despite it being dangerous times. Later, Mom has an idea to take a route, route, something out of the area. They're on a super fun road trip, a.k.a. Mom won't stop so Jessica can never leave. They stop at a red light and see a happy family on a road trip. It's not them. The scene contemplates powered people. They'll always be feared or praised. Though, don't say, with great power comes great responsibility, or Jessica may throw up. More time passes, and Alyssa still wants to be on a super team with her daughter. Jessica defends against it, saying her last team ended up with someone dead. Their conversation is interrupted by an accident between normal motorists and a propane tank truck. The kid and dad are saved, but where's Trudy? Jessica starts to free Trudy, but needs Alyssa to seal the deal. But, raising stakes, the truck driver is stuck too. Alyssa goes after him and disappears. Then the propane truck blows, but all are okay. Mother and daughter hug. Even more time passes, and Jessica knows they'll be collared for the save. The solution? The Jones gals will escape to Canada. Woo frickin' who. They detour to meet with Oscar, who's glad to be checking in on Jessica. Both ladies need papers, and Oscar wonders if Jessica's being forced. How can she leave, leave Oscar and Vito? And have they tracked Oscar to Jessica? Probably, but he's worried about her. They smooch and she runs, escaping in a garbage truck. Because that's how she feels, like garbage. Okay, fine, it's actually a gravel truck, but she doesn't feel like gravel, though her quandary ends up in a quarry, coincidentally, next to the camper. Back in Manhattan, Malcolm has finished fixing Jessica's apartment and calls Jerry's office to confirm his, or rather Millard Graves's, appointment with Linda Chow this morning. He showers and buzzes his hair and heads out. Meanwhile, Jerry has the world's least suspicious yoga instructor, the latter of which is performing downward dog, while Jerry ogles with a cartoonish awooga in her eyes and heart and such. Jerry's interrupted by Malcolm at the door. He's got information on the case and has information for Jerry. 
Time passes and Jerry saunters in onto her law firm, having summoned Chow and Benowitz. Jerry speaks of surrounding herself with fine folks and will leave these two fine folks for a buyout of several more zeros. Chow's ready to walk, but Jerry's got info on money laundering and the chocolate bar. It might not be proof, but it's enough to keep him quiet. Hogarth will leave with a doubled severance, all her clients, including Rand. In her office, she's pleased with Malcolm's services, but won't hire him long term. Sorry, Mal. On the road again, Jessica's plan is for her mother and daughter to jump on the Canada train, literally. Alyssa's vision is to go around the world, saving old people or whatever. She's so altruistic now. When they see a roadblock, Alyssa is quick to turn away. They take a call from Detective Costa, who says Alyssa crossed the line and can't come back, but accomplice Jessica still can. Jessica hangs on before the police can get a triangulation, because it's 2008 and that's really tough to do, I guess. Ultimately, the two decide to ditch the camper. With Trish in the hospital, Dr. Torres can't wake Trish, but Dorothy screams Patsy to wake her. Torres observes Trish has used two of her nine lives. It's called foreshadowing, kids. Caring mom then digs into her daughter, questioning why Trish basically does anything these days. Oh, and they'll need the stool sample. Later, Dorothy is back on manager duty, deciding she'll dip into Trish's finances and also take away her daughter's TV remote. Costa arrives to question Trish, info sharing that Jessica is an accomplice. Does Jessica know anyone in Westchester? Any professors or gifted schools? No? Well, Costa will try and bring Jessica in safely. Emphasis on try. Trish gets ready to split. Back to Jessica and Alyssa, they're in Rye, New York, at Playland, exit 19 off I-95. Alyssa lights up the place, literally, knowing it will bring the police. They take the Ferris wheel up and up and talk and talk about how hero isn't a bad word. It's someone who gives a hoot. Alyssa holds her daughter, then is shot in the head. Jessica looks down, seeing Trish. Think it's story baloney Trish could get there so fast? Playland's a mere 30-minute drive from Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, so the math works. But this doesn't work for Jessica, whose superhero jumps down, then knocks over Trish. Trish, who is sure that she's saved Jessica. Sirens sound, and Trish is given a chance to run. As the police arrive, Jessica retrieves her mother's body. Costa orders weapons put away and disarms Jessica, saying she did the right thing. Fade to black, with Jessica then walking the street, saying everything changes and nothing changes. She's snapping pics and just existing. At least the music is optimistic. She steps into Sonny's grocery and stops a robbery by chucking a liter bottle at a man. Still, she's got to pay for her booze. She goes home, seeing Trish at her doorstep. Trish doesn't claim to be a hero, but does claim to be Jessica's sister, though Jessica claims she has no family. Again. Trish walks and gets a text from Dorothy. Dinner tonight? She's texting Mom and gets bumped into, but catches her phone with the reflexes of a... Oh, you know. Aunt Jerry planning Hogarth and Associates with a new logo, new office space, and her six o'clock. Price Cheng, and his associate, Malcolm Duquesne. Price is surprised that he got the call, but all seem glad to be the legal house detectives for Jaron Hogarth and Associates. Back to Alias Investigations, Jessica's typing up Snoop Pick notes, emptying her bottle, and alone. She reflects on being untethered and heads out, seeing P.I. Malcolm returning home. They don't talk. 
She knocks on Oscar's door, realizing that she has been living like she's dead. She enters his apartment, his home, taking him up on the standing invitation for dinner and to celebrate Oscar's very small art show. Vito talks about his day, too, and Jessica joins the conversation, talking about her day, saving the liquor store from the dope-sick robber. The camera dollies out into the rain as she stops of talking a small bad thing in New York City to end the season. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, surely we're going to start with Alyssa. Absolutely. And that we're resolved at the end of this episode as we fully expected uh, that it would be. Uh, there's there's symmetry. There's a roundabout nature to her arc. I reflect four weeks ago today, Matt, when we were at the Paley Center in New York City to see the cast and Janet McTeer, whose character was still publicly known as Mystery Woman, uh, talking about wanting to know her entire story and letting that inform her performance. And I think in retrospect, of course, that that was the right move. We'll talk in a little bit in our cryptology segment about some of the theories and some of the ideas behind it. I I do have some qualms, um, but this really was the only way to take this character out. I, I appreciate First of all, I think there's a story need for her to be uh, removed from the story by the end of this season. So that's this episode. I think there's also um, there's a certain poetry to the idea that Jessica could not do it and that her sister in Trish had to do it. Mm-hmm. I kind of call it, you know, so all that being the case, I kind of call into question a little bit the decision that Jessica Jones, you know, of Marvel's Jessica Jones did not have the agency to defeat the villain. Um, Again, I think there's some poetry there in terms of uh, what it says about her relationship with her mother and lack thereof and all that. But, you know, it's kind of like, good news, Pete, uh, Luke Skywalker missed the first uh, torpedo at the Death Star, so Han Solo came in and shot the Death Star himself, right? I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you bring up the Star Wars example in that there is where a character fights his father, the, the, the parent, um, which is not a new idea at all. However, Luke doesn't kill Darth Vader. He doesn't kill Anakin Skywalker. He redeems him that Jessica at one point was going to kill Alyssa or grappling with that doesn't do it. I, I think the character, particularly in a season where we had Kilgrave return, albeit as a head uh, voice. Um, And then the episode was titled Three Lives and Counting, that it's weighed on her the number of lives that she's taken to have to add her mother to that would be unnecessary. And I think a breaking point for the character who's already experienced a ton. Where I do certainly give the show a ton, uh, a ton of credit when it comes to Alyssa is making it clear to us, the audience, that there's not a whole lot to be redeemed. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Darth Vader example there, and that's one way to put a bow on things. You know, 
and Darth Vader no more. I mean, with this, we have Alyssa and her, her wild-eyed, you know, we're gonna, just going to go on and be a superhero team in Canada and save old people or whatever. Uh, but with that, let's keep running from the cops. And let's, you know, do, do we have to save these people who have been hit by the propane truck? Uh, I don't know. Um, there's this lack of balance there, which is a through line. Um, there's a season theme that parents, in this case, mothers, are not dependable, which I think is a little daring to commit to for an entire season. But we have that in Alyssa. We have that in Dorothy. We have that in Vito's mom. And, you know, I, I don't know what meta point they're trying to make, but that certainly is a conclusion of the season that you can't trust mom. And that she comes back to she takes Jessica back to the place where they had the most positive memories that they would go and take those vacations. The anecdote about being up in the Ferris wheel, just the two of them. Poetic is, is the word you used before, and I'll echo that. Yeah, I like, I mean, that's a well-written, well-constructed, well-conceived scene to go back to this place of happiness um, and a real place, too, as mentioned in the recap, which I thought just added to the deliciousness. I I know I've, I know I grew up seeing ads for yes. uh, Playland Rye, and Rye. Rye Playland, as it yeah. was known when we were kids. Um, and then I was like... Is this the same as Space Farms, which was the other like <laughs> weird thing you'd see when you were homesick and see commercials or for? Or Action Park, also known as Traction Park, that there's a uh, uh, a teen uh, gross-out comedy coming about uh, shortly. There is a, just as a quick tangent, there's a great video explaining the downfall of Action Park, which I will uh, tweet out. Uh, totally unrelated to all of this, but it's great because, yeah, Action Park, if you grew up in the tri-state area, it was this place where you weren't allowed to go because people got hurt there. And you thought that was just baloney that your own mom, who was a mean mom like <laughs> Alyssa would tell you, yes. and no, people died at Action Park. Apparently, we were both raised by Alyssa Jones. <laughs> Although I think we're the better for it. Because <laughs> you were not allowed to go to Action Park, right? I'm alive because of this. <laughs> Ditto. So, Pete, let's take things down a notch here from the, the unquestionable evils of Alyssa. And uh, let's talk Trish, who... You know, for all the poetic conclusion and helping out of a sister and all that, uh, you know, shoots a lady in the head. And her best friend's mother at that. Um, yeah, I have mixed feelings about it. I want to tie as much as I can to cryptology and, and theories moving forward, of course. Uh, it's hard to argue against the writer's decision to have Trish pull the trigger. I think it creates more issues, however, than it solves. And uh, apart from the way that it happens with one shot. Um, and, and again, we'll discuss fully that in the next segment. But, uh, okay, could you have given it to Costa? Could you have given it to random NYPD officer, sniper, SWAT team guy? You could have. It lacks emotional resonance beyond the act itself. There's the repercussions of that. And this is a show, this is an episode of a season that ends with the very clear promise of more. Not in the way that Jessica Jones season one ended with Okay, she's going to be in the Defenders and, you know, oh, 
the work goes on at her uh, alias investigations, but no real clear promise of a second season. And they seem to have the green light on season three. There is so much setup that occurs in the final 15 minutes of this episode, uh, teasing the, the move forward. Yeah, in fact, I think there's an argument to be made that season uh, season two or the, how about this? This episode ends when the police arrive, Costa disarms Jessica, fade to black, and there's mm-hmm. an extended fade to black. That's the end of the episode. Yeah. Then the season then wraps up with Jessica walking the street and Sonny's grocery and, you know, and uh, and uh, Oscar and Vito and all of that, that, as you say, really are setting up the future and maybe setting up a next season a little bit better than the end of Jessica Jones season one. And that's not. Oh, undoubtedly. And I think they know what they have now. Um, not that they didn't with that first season, but it's it's difficult to gauge that hey here's our entire first season and yes this character moves forward in a mini series with three other uh protagonists three other male protagonists we'll, we'll point out of their own series two of which have not yet come out uh and it's going to be a bit but we have no idea of, of timing on season three for Jessica Jones. We still have no renewal, no announcement, anything like that. But damn if the show doesn't consider itself renewed. I think that um, the, the only problem I had with the end of season one was not actually how season one ended. I liked that it was, hey, and the phone is starting to ring. She can be a self-sufficient PI with Malcolm working for her. It's the fact that for whatever reason, there was not the appropriate handoff to Defenders, which then is like, Jessica Jones, P.I., I don't know, the phone doesn't ring, except for we ended with a dolly out of the phone ringing and the door closing. So that's why I just mentioned, I think, clearly they're kind of setting up all sorts of kind of suspense. She's not friends with Malcolm. She's not friends with Trish. And you can take that in any direction you want, whether that's for season two, whether that's for she shows up in iron fist you know whatever the options are it's at this moment of break and you can put it back together as quickly or as slowly as you want but that coda with trish showing up at her door and they have the conversation and then she leaves the phone call from dorothy and the catch of the phone with her foot um talk a little bit more about that in the next segment um i i think sets up a potential direction for their relationship that is both expected and unexpected. So I appreciate that. Um, clearly with Trish in the defenders, Malcolm as well, but you know, nowhere near to the extent that that Trish was featured as a secondary character. Um, I think it's important, her inclusion. And let's be honest, you know, this was a gigantic season for Rachel Taylor, um, much more than the first season. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, you said you had some that you needed to share. What are they? Well, first, I got to call out some shenanigans. Alyssa Jones and... I want to imagine it's uninformed, so it feels a little better. But she says that she and Jessica are two of the most powerful women, are the two most powerful women in the world. Uh, Okay. 
they've got to know about Scarlet Witch, um, the the uh, Maximoff uh, girl. Okay, in this universe, they are not as strong as her. Can we can we acknowledge that? Okay, little close. Well, we'll go closer and then we'll go further away. Okay, Electra, whose exploits would clearly be less, uh, shall we say, known. Um, I think a little bit stronger as well, you know, given the whole resurrection and the, the hand meddling and everything there. And then the last one I'll throw out and then another one coming. Okay. Can we acknowledge that perhaps the leader of the Dora Milaje that, uh, general Okoye might be a little bit more powerful or perhaps more skilled with her power, We'll leave it at that. Not to mention, Matt, this is a universe that Captain Marvel, that Carol Danvers is going to crop up in very soon. So, yeah, my imagination is that Alyssa Jones, in addition to rage, also doesn't read news. Well, I think she's been she's been kept from the news in a large uh, in, in a large way, certainly not you know, not, not in toto, uh, but deeper. I think that she's, you know, she, she clearly is a troubled soul. And I think that she's viewing herself through the lens of herself and not in any sort of objective way. And I think that if nothing else, her statement that her and Jessica are the two most powerful women in the world, that's just wild eyed, you know, madness being channeled there. That's not some sort of cool headed, uh, take of things. I mean, I'll see you on that. But again, in a in a world where they reference the incident, where they talk about the Sokovia Accords, they talk about the raft, they talk about power people. I mean, she was going to be sent to a prison where Scarlet Witch was once kept. Matt, let's talk about the death blow. One shot Walker. Well, Pete, first of all, I have no doubt that uh, Trish Walker was an impressionable teen when uh, the movie Eight Mile came out. So she knows <laughs> one shot, one opportunity. Um, Does she already said, have Dorothy's spaghetti on her uh, <laughs> on her chenille sweater? <laughs> absolutely. Well, yes. And it was a result of, you know, drug or alcohol use in which she was uh, vomiting. Anyhow... <laughs> That, we, we can continue that on the uh, the special bonus episode, Trish Walker, Impacted by 8 Mile podcast. Um, but, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I mean, we've seen Trish with a gun enough. We know that she's been involved in self-protection. Most of it that we've seen is, you know, kind of martial arts, kind of physical type stuff. It's not outside the realm of, of possibility that somebody who's lived in the limelight as long as she has would be proficient enough with a gun. You then factor in, okay, story requires one shot, one opportunity, as opposed to blam, Alyssa ducks, blam, blam, sparks fly, blam, no, mother, no. Um. So yeah, I think for me, story plus Trisha's history, I'm okay with it. The scene has all the setup of the way that it's going to end. They have the lights turned on. I, I can't imagine what a uh, an undertaking it was to film that scene. Hey, we need access to this park at, 
at night. We need to be able to turn the one thing on. We're going to draw massive attention to ourselves, but nobody's going to be here. Um, but that aside, that Trish is able to sidle up, she's able to hit a moving target with one shot, with no warning. Okay, we've had whatever enhancement as a result of Dr. Carl's viral treatment that was interrupted that uh, allows her to catch a uh, cell phone with her foot come the end of the episode some brief time later. It, it's still, even in a comic book universe TV show, it still feels slightly stretched. Slightly stretched, maybe stretched by the heavy hand. I mean, look at the famous story back at New York Comic Con where the guy goes, it's, she's Hellcat, it's Hellcat. Uh, I mean, okay, clearly we're headed towards that, but it's it's at a glacial pace. That said, we get, you've used two of your nine lives, and then she's got reflexes like a cat at the end. So, I mean, it's kind of one of these darned if you do, darned if you don't. If all of a sudden, out of the blue in season three, she's wearing a yellow and black uh, spandex outfit, jumping from roof to roof, going after a burglar or something, then it would be out of the blue. Do we need to seed that a little bit and show some of it? Sure. Do we also need to say, wink, wink, nudge, nudge? We might never put her in a yellow and black spandex outfit and call her Hellcat, but we're going to have some little feline references along the way. Yeah. Again, I think it's one of these things of if you see it coming, then it's fan service or it's cute or it's not cute. And if you don't see it coming, then you look back and go, wait a minute. Now she's called Hellcat. Wait, there were cat references. So I don't know what the right answer is. I just want season three to get here as soon as possible. And I look forward to doing our AKA renewal for season three podcast <laughs> at some point. Agreed on that. Just adding to the you know, use of the, the powers definitively at the end of the episode by catching her iPhone there before it slides down the elevator shaft. You got a little hint, a, a quick flourish of whatever theme they might choose to give to her. I, I thought was a smart choice. That is a good catch Pete. And as you said before, as we noted all the way back at Paley a month ago, there are kind of these, there have been these oblique references to maybe kind of sort of season three is already in pre-production, although not officially announced. So how could they possibly do it? Well, that's how Netflix does it. Like Stranger Things season two was in active pre-production when <gasps> they announced there was going to be more. So, you know, things like that, things like um, Ika Darville kind of openly asking Jeff Loeb, when do I need to start to work out for season three? Uh, which you know could have been rhetorical, but I, I think got the Jeff Loeb icy stare of no, not good <laughs> PR time. Um, this is a show where where there's plenty of promise for season three. This is an environment where if you believe everybody for what they've said in terms of the whole Marvel, Netflix, Disney, Fox, streaming, etc., that Netflix can continue to make Marvel Netflix for as long as they want to. To me, there's just if they're kind of like on the bubble with, oh, should we do another season of Jessica Jones? I think they would just do another season of Jessica Jones if only to spite the new kid on the block, which will, will be Disney streaming. So there's plenty of bright future for this show. With Malcolm 
and uh, Price Chang come the end of the episode here. And Matt, a white clad Jerry Hogarth, which I think was a very overt decision. Uh, what's the direction there? What's this new business venture that she's bringing uh, Chang and Malcolm in on? World's nicest lawyer fighting only the good <laughs> fights, uh, hopefully with you know that 60% of the business from Rand still. But they're a good company now. She's going to be the good lawyer for good people who can pay good amounts of money. Um, I mean, even there, too, there's plenty of promise. If Jessica Jones runs eight more seasons, you know, does Jerry Hogarth have to exit stage left and pass away in season six? Yeah, maybe. Uh, do we need to actively address her ongoing uh, declining illness next season? Maybe not. You know, like, I mean, she was in maybe, what, we had 13 episodes. She was in maybe seven or eight of them in this season there's enough story space to be like, wow, Jerry's completely turned it around and certainly turned it around enough to, oh, I don't know, appear in two episodes of Luke Cage in the Danny Rand episodes, or maybe it's vice versa. Luke Cage is going to be in Iron Fist, whatever it is. Like she can pop up here and pop up there as really nice lawyer lady who we recognize and, and not always be this cutthroat, you know, like, I don't know you, Danny Rand. Okay. Maybe I kind of do. Don't call me again because I'm like expensive as a guest star you can get mileage out of her and that's great the vagary with malcolm these last couple episodes have been tre uh, tremendously delicious as well so not really knowing and the guy's been spurned by jessica by trish there's a trust not trust kind of situation as in the best it would be with uh, Jerry. So I really like him as a free agent. I do too. I like that he has bounced, bounced back quote unquote from this, this, you know, um, we appreciate how he's been the number two for Jessica Jones. And then now he's, you know, been shown the door or he's shown himself a door, but now he's ostensibly the number two in a really quality PI firm that now has been brought on at the ground floor for Hogarth and Associates. Uh, so I like that that gives him stuff to do. Also, I mean, we were never huge Price Cheng fans, but I appreciate that now he gets to remain in the story as well. Uh, not just for the sake of diversity, but because he's a fascinating character, even though he's a jerk. Um, it's kind of win-win uh, across the board there. Last one from me, Pete, kind of more of a hypothetical here. Uh, did, when Malcolm went to Jerry's apartment after yoga time, uh, did Malcolm inadvertently save the yoga instructor from an uncomfortable situation and possibly save Jerry from some sort of legal action? Because I think Jerry was, was looking to cross a line there. So your thoughts, Pete? I mean, anything is possible that we've seen it happen with Inez in what obviously led to a gigantic loose end in this season. Uh, hey, did the cops ever scoop her up? Did she say anything to the cops? Was there any blowback thrown? Oh, where did you get this information that you decided to murder your boyfriend about? Oh, from Jerry Hogarth? Oh, we'll talk to her. Uh, 
maybe Matt. I I don't know. It, it was it was done as a transition. It was done as a bridge. Uh, she she's doing yoga now. Uh, Malcolm makes reference to it later in the episode. I I think sometimes yoga is just yoga. It's not like it's coffee. Well, Pete, from coffee to the cream on top. I know we have a little bit of a uh, of a contest going on. Why don't you remind everyone what that is? Yes, we are raffling a digital download code to Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, every new review left to any of our 13 podcast feeds on iTunes will receive an entry. So you can earn up to 13 entries in this contest. A couple people have availed themselves of those odds and, and put multiple ones in. Great. That's what we want to hear. That's what we want. Make sure you reach out to us. And let us know you have left a review. You can do that via Twitter. You can do that via Facebook. You can email us at Fantastic Geek. Uh, you can comment on Fantastic Geek any way you want to let us know. That way, when we announce the winner next Friday, Friday, April 13th, we can be calling your name. Let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say. Pete, what have you found? To the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Matt, where Stacy Taylor writes in, Turk, this had been my favorite cameo so far outside of Daredevil. She's referring, of course, to Turk Barrett's uh, cameo in episode 212. And uh, I replied here via Fantastic Geek, a podcast favorite to be sure. Although I, I will disagree with Stacy. I have to say that Turk's cameo in the first season of Luke Cage, where Luke cornered him in a <laughs> back bar room and then punched into a beer keg and got it all over Turk. That's my Turk Barrett right there. Well, Pete, I'll disagree with you and agree with Stacy in that we all want to work our way up in this world. We all want to work hard. Hopefully not all of us end up doing all the rascally things that Turk Barrett does, you know, like weapons trafficking and things like that. But I like the Turk is on the up and up. I know a couple podcasts ago I said, for all we know, that Porsche five minutes later was impounded by the FBI or whatever. But I like to think that the next time we see him, which could be as soon as this summer in Luke Cage, um, which, of course, we will be podcasting on the Pop Culture Podcast and Luke Cage podcast feeds. Uh, I like to think he's going to show up there a Dapper Dan and not a, uh, not, not a jailbird. Well, maybe he can go see Dapper Dan the Taylor, Matt, up on 125th, uh, who cameoed in season one as well. Absolutely. Certainly exciting stuff. And I believe Dapper Dan recently having uh, having uh, partnered with Gucci, so proof that you can go from Harlem to the top just like that. Pete, speaking of the Gucci-like experience, I hope anyway, those who help us out on Patreon.com slash Geek have access to some special goodies. Maybe it's not quite Gucci quality, but we like to think that it's all Gucci heart. Absolutely. If you get yourself over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Geek, everybody who contributes gets exclusive podcast content, and then you can determine what designer level you'd like to give at always appreciated that uh, people are there helping us out keeping all the podcasts going pete what, we're up to 13 now is that right yes, yes. <laughs> and uh the good news is 
in, in let's see actually no Pete, i was gonna say that there's no new ones coming yes uh, we have there Luke is Cage. a new one coming in june uh, cloak and dagger right yes so all of that kept aloft back at the home base hq and that's all made possible by people who help us out on patreon so thanks as always but pete the greatest gift is talking to you on twitter how can people do so you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-9872. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, Followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast any way you like. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we are Fantastic Geek. Or send an email to FantasticGeek at gmail.com. But wait, Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word your data will not be uh compromised uh so yeah get yourself over there and join that conversation well pete we will be back talking jessica jones one more time this sunday looking back at season two as a whole so dear listener if you have any thoughts about the season do share it with us and then uh, we of course look forward to the season two renewal at some point and uh in the interim of course if you're listening to us in the pop culture podcast feed we'll be talking agents of shield tomorrow night and uh all sorts of goodies ahead between uh now well certainly in the month of april on the pop culture podcast feed we got uh avengers we have uh, uh agents of shield continuing we have all the uh movies in may to look forward to as well and as you said we got cloak and dagger in june we have uh, luke cage towards the end of june Uh, So the party just keeps on going. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final season two word. Yeah. Woo friggin' who.